up a powerful story? I'm Mary DeMuth, and in this podcast, I share stories of everyday people who remind you that you're not alone as you untangle your own story. Because of the outrageous generosity of God, I believe you can experience a joyful restory moment right now. Remember, the old is gone, the new awaits. The Restory Show starts now. The Restory Show, Season 3, Episode 12. Today's podcast is brought to you by BookLaunchMentor.com. If you've ever dreamed of writing and actually publishing your story, you'll find all the mentoring you'll need at BookLaunchMentor.com. And uh, we're now open for business on the, uh, the next intensive. We should be opening that for July pretty soon. So check back to BookLaunchMentor.com and you'll be able to see that. Before we get into today's show, I'd like to highlight the iTunes review of the week. And today's is by Nisi. And Nisi says, the work Mary is doing here is amazing. These stories are heartbreaking, but so inspirational with the love of Jesus. May God bless you and continue to heal all who are struggling with abuse for his glory. Thank you, Nisi. I really appreciate you taking the time to do that. And if you're if you're listening to the Restory Show and you haven't left a review yet, um, this is just something you can do to help me out very briefly. Just run on over to the iTunes store and find the podcast or go to where you're listening to it and write a couple sentences about what you feel about the podcast. When you do that, it helps it to get into the hands of more folks, and I just greatly appreciate you doing that. Also, if you want to share your story on the Restory Show, uh, you can give us a little two-minute story on marydemuth.com, and there's a little recording icon on the right-hand side, and you can just record it there. Now, if you're long-winded, it'll cut you off, so be careful. Today, I am welcoming Rob Fairbanks to the Restory Show, and Rob is a friend from way back when, when we were church planters in France, and uh, we've maintained our friendship and recently had dinner with him a couple months ago, and he is a great guy. He's a church planter and a pastor, and uh, he has a great story today about what do you do when you're kind of burning out and you're not quite living from your passion, so Anyone who's ever experienced that or has had one of those amazing life change slash job changes, you're going to really enjoy today's show. So without further ado, here's Rob Fairbanks. Hey, everyone. It's Mary at the Restory Show, and I have with me today Rob Fairbanks, who is a pastor in Spokane, among many other illustrious things. And we know each other um, because Patrick and I were church planters in southern France for a few years, and that's how we ran across Rob, actually, we didn't, I don't think you were president of our organization when we were there, but you were just coming on when we were leaving, but we became friends that way. Yeah, we had a short crossing pattern. I think we had dinner in Portugal. Yeah, I think that was it. <laughs> yeah, so that cemented it. If you ever want to like become friends with someone, have dinner in Portugal with them, and then that will be it. Exactly. So yeah. thanks so much for coming on the show today. I really appreciate it. I'm glad to be here. So give us, the listeners, a little bit idea of who you are and what you're doing right now, how you grew up. You probably have a wife and some kids and a career sure. and all that. So give us a, a snapshot of that. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm a pastor in Spokane right now in the west central neighborhood of our city, which is one of three uh, of the most under-resourced neighborhoods in the city. But obviously, I didn't start there. But I have lived in the city for some time, and even though we're a city in the Pacific Northwest, and we have a lot of transients in Spokane, probably half the people in Spokane are Californians. <laughs> um, I'm actually a native. I was born here and uh, went to school, went to college here, graduated from Whitworth University, which is 
fantastic school here in Spokane. And it's a school that I teach at now. I'm an adjunct uh, professor, really dealing with mission and missional theology. So I kind of do that on the side, it's kind of an avocation. And, uh, but I became a Christian. Well, first of all, I'm, I mean, I was not the best student growing up. I mean, I was a little hyperactive. I'm, I'm 58. So when I was growing up, this is before they started giving kids Ritalin. <laughs> <laughs> so you just had to cope. <laughs> I just had to cope. It, the system was not built for me. So I was bouncing off of walls and getting really bad grades. And if it wasn't for sports, I wouldn't have been able to continue on. Fortunately, I was good enough at something, so people kept giving me chances uh, and, until my uh, brain slowed a little bit. But um, I became a Christian at 21, and that was after really living a life that was pretty reckless. And some of it had to do with me being a goofball. Some of it had to do with me being bored with life. And But really, bottom line, it was just my own selfishness and living for myself. And that ended up hurting a lot of people. And I became a, a Christian at 21, and I was one of those radical converts. I mean, I it wasn't one of those things where I went to a church or anything. I think I'd met a couple Christian people in my whole life, and uh, but I, I did have some strange appetite for God, and um, on kind of on my own, I decided that I'm going to give this a chance, and uh, really was met. I was met by God in significant ways, and so my. I turned into one of those crazy radicals, and I still am kind of, but I'm just nicer now. <laughs> I'm so glad you're nicer. <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. My my uh, aggressiveness before conversion was kind of unwieldy, and after conversion, I just tried to make everybody become a Christian, which that really made all my friends really happy. <laughs> uh, Not invited um, to the parties anymore. <laughs> right, right, exactly. No, I, I sat in judgment of the parties at that point, yes. you know. So anyway, all to say, met my wife. We got married very young. She was 19 and I was 22. So just a short time after I became a Christian and her name is Robbie. It's always fun having a wife with the same name that you have. <laughs> yes. it's, it's, it's funny. Every time we talk to anyone and I'll say, my name is Rob, this is my wife, Robbie. And they'll go, inevitably, somebody will say, do you guys get confused on who's who? I'm thinking <laughs> that is probably the most stupid thing anybody could ever say. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm the other one. Anyway, we've been married for almost uh, 36 years now, and we have three kids, uh, 32, 30, and 15. So really kind of two sets of kids. We have, uh, we have a 15-year-old that never knew his siblings in the same house. So it's a really unique part of our story. I started pastoring at 25, and part of my the story that I'll share later will encompass some of this, but I pastored a small rural church and then went and got involved in church planting, uh, kind of got beat up a little bit in that part of the story, and then went and was on staff at a church in Silverdale, Washington, where we had- Hey, I live there. <laughs> that's right. That's where we had a connecting point, although I don't think I think we're in the town at the same time, but we didn't know each other. That is so funny! Wow, yeah. we could have been best friends then, but maybe so, <laughs> or not. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> um, but anyway, so and then planted another church in '91 uh, and pastored that for almost 20 years, and uh, then that's when I went and took over the presidency of Christian Associates, and and now after a series of years doing that, I three years ago, three and a half years ago, we planted this church, Emmanuel in Spokane. And it's just been fantastic. It's been a great, great ride. And, but I, that's been, been kind of my journey. Um, 
one of the big things that changed with me, I went back and got my doctorate while I was pastoring this church called New Community. And and then it opened up these doors with Christian Associates. I was That's where I met the guy that I was eventually going to take over from, Linus Morris. And we had met each other taking this class um, called Following the Newbegin Trail, and we were in London and Birmingham. That would be fun. That's cool. No, it was a blast. Mm. That's where I met all the Christian Associates people. Wes, was, Wes White was there, and Andrew Perriman, and uh, Linus, and Hud, and a bunch of other people that we have in common. But I was sitting there talking to Linus, just meeting him in a lobby, and uh, he's telling me what he does, and you know, I'm just getting so pumped. Like this is really in the center of my longing, and and uh, then he asked me what I did was doing, and I shared with him that I'm pastoring a church in Spokane, Washington, and he stopped and goes, "What? You you're from Spokane?" And I go, "Yeah." I says, "I'm from Spokane." Oh, and, uh, funny. So we became very fast friends, and the the fascinating thing about all of this is the neighborhood that we're planting in right now was the neighborhood that Linus grew up in. in fact, oh, wow. He came back and visited and we found his old house and it was really a, a cherished time uh, to kind of reconnect around those things. So that's kind of my story. That's awesome. And so what, what story do you want to share today? I'm, I'm looking forward to hearing it. <laughs> well, um, being 58, there's, I have, I have a lot of stories now, yeah. but <laughs> You've I, collected I, them. I, I, I love, I love the title of your podcast, the restory thing. Because it really is a metaphor for life, right? I mean, it's it's really how we live the whole thing out. We're always in this progressive story that doesn't end. I, and it reminds me of the saying Francis Schaeffer used to say, Christianity is the faith of endless new beginnings. And and I, I think that's the the vibe or the, the edge of what you're trying to get in the podcast. So for me, another metaphor for me that's helpful is the idea of conversion. And this is kind of new to me, but I was at a conference in Louisville uh, a couple of weeks ago, and uh, one of the in- people they interviewed was Bill Hybels, and he talked about how he had gone through multiple conversions in his life. And in, in Christianity, obviously, we have the big C conversion, you know, where you become a Christian. But the reality is there's multiple conversions we go through. So for me, when I think of story, I think of those conversion points where it's almost paradigmatical where something changes that, that kind of shifts your life in a dramatic way. And for me, you know, obviously becoming a Christian outside of the church, I, one of those conversions was to the church. I, I fell in love with the church. And then the idea of church planting captured me and still does. And then I was converted to the poor. Mm. Uh, I honestly had this conversion and I've always cared about the vulnerable, but I had a conversion that, uh, shook me to the place where I couldn't live the way I was living. And then, and this is part of the story, uh, there was a conversion into an awareness of the apostolic side of my life. And I'll talk about that. And I'll, I'll share about the, the, the last conversion that I'm in right now, and that's around the idea of racial righteousness. So, so for me, in the midst of all those conversions, I, I had all this experience in the church, and I was pastoring this one church in Spokane that I planted in 91 for a long time. And I met Linus and got involved with Christian Associates. And while I was pastoring New Community, I started having these weird longings. Like, there's probably something more. Uh, I'm supposed to be investing not just in the local context. And we had invested a great deal. That church had planted six other churches. And we were having a lot of multiplication happen. And the church had grown quite large. But um, 
in getting involved with Christian associates, I just felt like that was the next, next logical step for me. And, you know, I'm not doubting God's move in that. I mean, I think God was really part of that, but what I didn't realize when I took the role with Christian associates is, is that there's two different modalities or, or ideas when it comes to apostolic calling. And when I say apostolic, I'm not talking about big A ap- apostle. Yeah. I'm talking about an orientation toward multiplication in, into the nations. You know, I, I always kid around about it that I'm, I'm not talking about being a part of the 12, although I'm from Spokane, which means I'm a Seahawk fan. <laughs> 12th man. That's yes, right. <laughs> you always have to have that not, in there. It's <laughs> not the apostolic part. And, and what I realized almost immediately on taking over the presidency of this organization was I, I felt like I left the center part of who I was supposed to be as a person when I left the local church. And um, honestly, Mary, I would, you know, and you knew my schedule. I mean, I was gone about 180 days a year traveling when I was doing this job. And I felt like my soul was dying. And some people can really do that role easy enough. But I started having, and I don't want to overly dramatize this too much, but I, I started having panic attacks. Like, here I am sitting in an airport terminal in somewhere. I, you know, I don't even know where I am at the moment and going, my soul is shrinking because I have no connection to the rhythm of a local community. And I found myself longing for that so much and realizing that the health part of my life was intrinsically connected to being a part of a community day to day, right. week to week, the rhythm of day in and day out, Sabbath. Mm-hmm. The, the regular gatherings, the, the living life with people, because my role with Christian Associates was really, I'm going to fly somewhere, I'm going to spend three days in the city, I'm going to try to be an encouragement, and I'm going to get on a plane, and I'm not going to see those people again for who knows how long. And so I found myself in this uh, really challenging place of, even though I'm the job is fantastic, but I don't think it was at the center of my story. And um, this is the this is the dichotomy, I guess, for me, is a lot of people don't think of the apostolic orientation in terms of, or everybody always thinks about it in terms of, like, what did Paul do? And Paul was more of an itinerant, and he operated in the sense of from the outside in. He would travel around, hang out, drop down, and then he'd pop back up and he'd go somewhere else. And everybody thinks that's the way that multiplication happens. Yet we fail to to recognize that there was another apostle on the scene, significant one, and his name was Peter, and he never left home. I mean, that, and he had more of an, what I would consider an inside-out calling. So he was in a local context, and yet still was God used him in an apostolic setting. And what I realized was that's what, that's what I was actually living in, in the church that I was pastoring before I took the role with Christian Associates, and, and realized that my heart was back there. And so that's where some of those panic attacks, because here's the deal. I'm, I'm 58, 55. I'm trying to get date. I was like early fifties or something like that. And I'm starting to count the years of my life and, and realize the organization needed a, someone leading it that had a long-term commitment to kind of rebranding it into the future. And I started thinking it's going to take five years to do this with this organization. And I, and I started counting, and that puts me close to 60, and then I started freaking out because 
let's just get real. There's not many churches out there looking to hire a 60 year old. And I, (laughs) I started realizing my mortality was like, I'm running out of time to actually do what I really love doing again. And that's where the panic happened because I thought I'm not going to be able to do it again. And the, the, the restory is this after uh, a series of years, I came to the realization that I just can't keep kicking this can down the road. And I resigned and, um, I found myself back in my hometown. My wife had uh, was a she is a marriage and family therapist, and she was firmly rooted in her calling. All I knew is I needed to get back in the local church. I needed to decide where and uh, do I look for a church to pastor or do I plant a church? So those were decision making things I needed to do. So uh, I broken and tired and worn out. And with not much faith, I gathered some people together and asked them if they would do listening with me. Um, And it wasn't to plant a church necessarily, although they had, everybody in the room had their plan. Uh, But we gathered and listened and we tried to develop the muscle of listening. And like we would, we'd be in these meetings and we would spend literally 60 minutes just sitting in silence together or maybe even two hours and trying to attune our hearts to the voice of the spirit. and. You know, I'm like reticent uh, because I knew I needed to do something, but I didn't have any faith because I was so weary. Uh, but there were people in the room going, I, I keep saying, OK, we're calling this a listening community. And they would say, hey, will you get over it. I mean, we're, we're, plant, we're planting a church. And my daughter is one of them who can get away with saying anything to me. She goes, Dad, will you stop that? You're being a wuss. You know, we're going to plant a church. And so finally, I, I did say this to them. I said. Guys, I, I love the idea, but I don't have any faith right now. I really don't. I don't have the faith to do it. And to a person, each one of them looked back and said, that's okay. We, we have faith. We, you, you can use our faith. We know you'll catch up. <laughs> hmm. Which goes to show how much we desperately need community and such a testimony of the importance of having people alongside us and not being lone rangers in this world. Yeah, well, I needed them. And I needed to submit to them mm-hmm. really is what it boiled down to. And, um, you know, they were right over, over time. I did catch up. I mean, I, I can't say I'm full of faith, but I'm, I have a lot of faith mm-hmm. right now. I mean, mm-hmm. what, what's going on is, is really remarkable. And part of that listening, and this is, this is the kind of the second part of the, the restory part for me or the next conversion is we, we planted intentionally in an urban context and we chose it based upon, okay, what are the most under-resourced neighborhoods in our city? And, um, we, we went into one of them knowing that we had a missionary calling in the city. And, uh, so we did go into one of these neighborhoods and the conversion part in this is not just to the poor. We, we intentionally committed ourselves to being a, a reconciling church. And for us, um, I don't know if, your listeners kind of get this part, but we, I really see reconciliation happening multidirectional. I mean, we talk about reconciliation and like in Colossians where Christ through his blood reconciled all things. And so, so we really wanted to start thinking about what does reconciliation look like? Obviously it, there's an individual component where we reconcile with God, but really the, the, the fractured place in our neighborhood is reconciled people. And so we thought about it in terms of gender, that we wanted to make sure that, that we weren't um, 
a church of middle-aged white dudes. <laughs> um, that there was a, the feminine voice in our midst. Mm-hmm. It was critically important. And we wanted to make sure uh, there was reconciliation of age because the church I'd pastored before was a very large college church. And even though it was very cool, it had a missing voice. And so we wanted to make sure it wasn't just one demographic of age and education. And we certainly wanted to be reconciled with economics, that we were concerned about justice issues in our neighborhood. But the thing that for us that ended up being has ended up being just as important or maybe more important is the racial issue. And as you know, everybody knows, I mean, we we are in a, a season in our land that is uh, maybe as fractured. It's, it's as fractured as any time in my lifetime, but when it comes to race. And um, the challenge has been, and I, I want to be really careful with this, but the challenge has been we have been trying to answer racial injustice with sociological and political means. And I really believe that the gospel does hold the answer uh, to racial righteousness, to reconciliation. And so uh, we have built our church around the idea of what does it look like for us to reconcile with our neighborhood, which is very diverse. And it's, and it's for us, it's more than just every, every pastor I know, every, every pastor in my city will tell you, I, want, I would love to have a multi-ethnic church. I mean, it's kind of the flavor of the month. In, in a sense. But the fact of the matter is the challenge is everybody wants a, a diverse, diverse church, but no one wants to change anything. So essentially what people want is they want a majority populist church culture, i.e. in most cities, a white church, a white culture, but they want people who are non-white to adopt into the white culture mm-hmm. instead of actually submitting to the to the community that they're a part of. And that's part of the conversion for us. It's not just we we want to be a part of racial righteousness, but we want, we believe that being a part of racial racial righteousness means that we're gonna we're gonna have to submit to the other voices in our neighborhood, not just my voice, and not just to someone who might be commuting into our church, but to an African American woman who comes, or to the uh, Hispanic voices in our in our church. We it's got to be more than everybody conforming to white culture. And so it's just been a big deal and it's been so challenging and so life-giving for for us as a community. So what, as you look back, as you've been doing this, do you have a story that kind of typifies what what you mean? Like, is there somebody that you've brought along into leadership that has helped you see things differently? Mm, yeah. Well, my, my best friend from college is a guy named Al Tizan and he's theologian and brilliant. I mean, brilliant, passionate, shining example of who a Christ follower should look like or what a Christ follower should look like. And uh, about three or four years ago, as we were just getting started, I asked him, and these are, I'm being really honest here. So, you know, I hope your listeners don't, you know, take a knife out and stab me or something. But (laughs) I asked him who's, and he's Filipino. And uh, he was the, just resigned not long ago. He was the president of Evangelicals for Social Social Action. Uh, with Ron Sider, and he's he's got a unique story himself. So I asked him, can a white guy pastor a multi-ethnic church? And, and he goes, it's really hard. Now, a, a parenthetical thought related to that, I meet with a group of African-American pastors in our city, and the first meeting I had with this particular group, 
uh, an African-American guy, a new friend of mine across the table says this. I'm really struggling because I don't know if an African-American can pastor a multi-ethnic church. <laughs> mm. And I go, hey, wait, that's my line. <laughs> anyway, so I said, I, back to my, my conversation with my friend Al, I says, what would you, how would you counsel me? What would you tell me? I mean, how do I move forward? And he said, said quickly, without hesitating at all, he says, well, you need to make friends with somebody who's not like you and let them mentor you. And uh, so I, I, I do everything Al tells me to do. <laughs> <laughs> so I immediately, I've, I've got lots of friends who are non-white in our city, and I approached one of them who's really um, kind of one of the fathers in our, our city, uh, African-American uh, friend, who um, I said, hey, listen, will you hang out with me? Can we be friends? Can I listen? Uh, can you help me? And, you know, he's just most one of the most loving people anywhere. And he goes, yeah. So we, I bet Rodney and I talk, uh, we see each other in face-to-face a couple times a month at least, and we talk on the phone at least three times a week. And that's been the last three or four years. And, uh, and, and that's been expanded in a lot of different ways. And he's invited me into a lot of different circles that I would never even know. I didn't even know they existed after pastoring here 20 years. I didn't know the circles even were here. That shows you how isolated and how se- uh, segregated the church is. And so Rodney has been a mentor for me, even though we're the same age and uh, he is a, like a father in the city. And and so uh, I've submitted to him as well. Sounds like I'm really a submissive person. I'm really not. <laughs> but but it is a choice. Areas, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. So that's, and so we have made intentional choices around that in our church, making sure that we have voices of the other people who aren't me on our leadership team and key leadership roles. And we've, um, that's, we're, trying to live into this story as much as we can. Well, it's been awesome. What a beautiful picture because it's what, you know, the other side is going to look like every knee is going to bow. Every tongue is going to fe- confess and the the body of Christ is going to be every color, every race, every tongue, every nation. And so you're practicing for heaven by creating that kind of congregation. And I mean, letting God create that kind of congregation it's exciting to see. It's God's dream. It's not, I mean, we're just kind of drafting in and really we talk about it in terms of a Revelation 7 congregation. I mean, we are, we are trying to live into the future. Yeah. Yeah. I really, I really love that. And, you know, living in the South and being from Seattle, it's even more, it feels a little bit more segregated down here. So it just feels like such a cool Nirvana thing to think about that I want to just run up there and see it. But I I just appreciate your heart and your willingness to step into something that might not be comfortable. And, and just, I think we see Jesus in every type of person we meet, you know, including, you know, boring old white people. (laughs) So, um, so it's just, it's exciting to see what God's doing and, and how he steered your heart. And I love too, that you needed your grounding in the local church, which is such a a passion, you know, that's what Bill Heibel says. It's the hope of the world and, uh, the local church. It's powerful, very powerful thing. And, and, uh, well, what I, what I realized, Mary was the thing I was hoping to accomplish taking this other role that was more itinerant and, and more global. I thought I was going to be, I thought I was going to be able to do the very things that I was already doing in a local context. We were multiplying congregations and of people who really were kingdom people and um, 
yeah, I mean, there is a role for that more itinerant person. But for me, it was really built around this idea of my part of the calling and my part of the, the journey is really walking with people through the, the peaks and valleys and all the other things in life, So, which I love. So um, what kind of advice would you give to somebody who is like maybe in that place of burnout where you experienced that and then you leapt into something new? What, what helped you during that time besides your community around you, of course? Yeah, Maybe that's the answer. I don't know. <laughs> well, well, for me, that that is part of the answer. And I see it in everybody's life that I hang out with. Like last night, I was with a group of people. And there's this young woman who's gone, went through a very difficult marriage and is on the other end of it where I, mean, I can't go into details about it, but it was really hard. And uh, she's just now started to date again. And she said, I, I love I'm I'm kind of a father figure for her at this point. I said, I love that I have a community that cares enough to watch out for me. You know what I'm saying? Where where she's like she she really trusts it's like a family for her. It's not church. It's not like I'm gonna go and I'm gonna get my little sermon and I'm gonna go back and live my real life. I mean her her the the fabric of her life is woven in with other people who can protect her and help her and 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 she gets to submit to that too. We're all in this mutual submission, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. But for me, I think what concerns me about people who burn out, all of us go through really difficult times. We go through seasons that are hard. And for me, being kind of wired as a risk taker, I'm, I'm going to kind of pile up some of those failures, um, maybe faster than others, because I'm throwing myself in the deep end a lot. Uh, but one of the things in the first church plant I went through all right, I went. I, I started. It was it was a very hard situation, and I didn't know what I was doing. It was like in 1986. There wasn't even a book on church planting. <laughs> uh, it wasn't it wasn't what it is now. And uh, I was sent out by this big mega church. And this is the honest truth, Mary. Everything they told me to do was wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I, I could have I could have just done the exact opposite because th- they had no context for church planting. They're just big church, big steamroller church that's got resources and blah, blah, blah. So it was a very hard time, and I was kind of full of myself, and I needed to be I needed to be broken. I call that season the re-education of Rob Fairbanks because <laughs> I was full of hubris, you know, like a lot of young men and women. And But by the end of it, I, I was ready to quit. I mean, I, if, I, I thought to myself, if this is what being involved in leadership of the church means – I don't want it anymore. I, I, I just don't want to do this. And uh, one of the things that I felt like God told me in the middle of that, and I, I've kind of held it very close since then, and that was a long time ago now, was the saying, I refuse to be held back by my feelings. And and for people who are burnout, I mean, if, if there are people listening to this and they're burnout, get help. Don't, I mean, be vulnerable, vulnerable enough to invite people in. But sometimes, like for me, I, I found I, I just I, I can't allow those things to debilitate me because the fact of the matter is all of us are going to have successes and failures. And the successes, we can't we can't weight them too much and our failures. We can't weight them too much. In other words, we should be very suspicious of our of our winning our success and just as suspicious of our failing. And for me, I just like I'm going to fail. I just can't allow those to be the definer of who I am. 
so I, I hold on a lot. I hold on to the rope, mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like a water skier when they're trying to get out of the water. I just hold on because it feels like you're drowning when you're trying to get up out of the water. <laughs> yes. But if you've done it enough, you realize if I hold on to this thing, if I don't give up and let that be the definer of my story, you know, there'll be some moment where you pop up and you're all of a sudden you're having a riot. Now that's not, I don't want to minimize long-term struggle for sure, but like new community, the church I pastored in 90 or planted in 91, um, it became a really significant church in our city and still is. But it, we, I affectionately call it a, a 10 year overnight success. <laughs> I mean, we, we languished for a long, long time. And then all of a sudden something, something happened. I, I can't even tell you what happened except for we had, we didn't pull the plug and we tried to be faithful and God, God was in the middle of that. It just took a long time. So. Yeah. Well, that's good advice. And so if, as you look back on this last year, how has God restoried you? Yeah, well, that's, I, I've kind of already said that part and that's, uh, how do we, how do we live into this dream of racial righteousness? That's part of it. The other part, Mary, and this is related to you guys, is coming out of Christian Associates or what is now called Communitas International. Um, uh, when I when I got involved with Christian Associates, I really felt like, okay, this is home. I found I found a tribe that makes sense. Uh, but for one reason or another, that tribe didn't continue on when I resigned. After I resigned, and that's I'm not I'm not making any judgment calls on that, except to say the other part of the restoring for me is realizing that God had another family to, for me to be a part of. And so, so when we think of restoring, I, we're, I don't know if I told you when we were together, but we're uh, joining a denomination. Mm-hmm. I've never been in a denomination and we're like seconds away from, <laughs> you know, saying I do. Yes. <laughs> uh, so frightening for me. Um, but Thinking about restory, I mean, really, we're talking about different chapters. Yeah, and, true. And, and and chapters turn, and I didn't anticipate this part of the ch- my story, but I just continued to try to listen and be there, and and God's provided a another global community for me to be a part of, and it's that's part of that support and mutuality that I think emanates from the the local church, which I've been able to take part in again. Thank you. That's so good. And I think it's important that we, we really, it's all about relationships. And so much of the restory process is letting people speak into our lives and having the privilege of doing so with others and having community. So I appreciate your story and your honesty. And I'm so grateful that you found a a really good place to land and a challenging place to land and something that keeps you going. And and, uh, you get to see God do great things. And it's just amazing. So thank you so much. My pleasure. Glad to be here or be on. (laughs) Be on here. Thanks for listening to The Restory Show. Do you mind if I pray for you? Jesus, thank you that you have us all on very unique journeys, and ours might not look like Rob's, and his might not look like ours, but that's okay. You have us on specific 
places, going to specific places and doing specific things, and you've created us in different and unique ways. And I pray, Lord, you'd help us to understand even more, giving ourselves permission to be wired the way that we are, to see how we are uniquely built for your kingdom. And for those who are facing burnout today, I just pray for strength. I pray for good community around them to help them see what's going on. And also community like Rob experienced where people kind of had to push him out of the nest of just burnout and into further ministry. So Lord, would you just provide people in our lives that will speak encouragement to us and also the truth? Uh, We trust you for the next week of our life, the the next minute of our life, the next year of our life, and uh, help us to keep you in mind, especially as we endure trials, that we could see the long view in mind and think of a heavenly perspective instead of only just looking at what's happening today. Elevate our eyes today and help us to look into your face. I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. If you'd like more information about today's show, head on over to marydemuth.com forward slash restory 3-12. And may you have and may you live actually a brand new story this week.